Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Curtis Sittenfeld is the best-selling author of six novels, Prep, The Man of My Dreams, American Wife, Sisterland, Eligible, and Rodham. Her first story collection, You Think It, I'll Say It, was published in 2018 and picked for Reese Witherspoon's book club. Her books have been selected by the New York Times, Time, Entertainment Weekly, and People for their 10 best books of the year lists, optioned for television and film, and translated into 30 languages. Her short stories have appeared in The New Yorker, The Washington Post, and Esquire, and in the Best American Short Stories Anthology, of which she is the 2020 guest editor. Her nonfiction has appeared in The New York Times, Time, Vanity Fair, The Atlantic, Slate, and On This American Life. A graduate of Stanford University and the Iowa Writers Workshop, Curtis has appeared on a guest on NPR's Fresh Air, CBS's Early Show, and PBS's NewsHour, and four times been a Jeopardy answer. Hi, everyone. We have a very special guest on today's episode. I am pleased to be chatting with Curtis Sittenfeld to discuss romantic comedy that comes out on April 4th. Welcome. Thank you. It's so nice to have you here and chat about this book. So to get the boring standard question, I'm sure you're going to hear a lot on this book tour out of the way. I'm wondering if you could tell our listeners what romantic comedy is about. So um, the main character is a woman named Sally who is in her late thirties. She works for a show that's a lot like Saturday night live. Um, she's been there for nine years. She's very successful. Uh, but I know <laughs> this has never been the plot of anything before. Her love life is like a little less robust than her professional life. Um, and she was married and divorced in her early 20s. And then since then, she's been much more focused on, on her job than on dating. But she decides to write uh, a sketch making fun of how men at the show um, often kind of date up, but women who are writers for the show or cast members for the show don't seem to. So um, the men date these like gorgeous super famous female celebrities who are musical guests or guest hosts on the show um and the men these men who are cast members or writers are talented but they're they're not quite on the same you know like a goddess level as as these women and she writes a sketch making fun of this um sort of saying it would never happen where an ordinary female comedy writer would date a smoking hot, super famous, super successful male celebrity. And then that week, the host and musical guest is, is a pop singer named Noah Brewster. And perhaps they have chemistry and perhaps her beliefs about the world are contradicted. 
Yeah, absolutely. And so I'm wondering where the idea from this book came from, like which piece of that was maybe the first spark of inspiration for you? So my family watched a lot of Saturday Night Live during the pandemic. I I introduced my children to it, who I think that they were then, there's been such a collapse of time that it's like really hard to remember anything. I think my children were about to turn nine and about to turn 11 and in December, 2019. And I looked for a particular sketch to show them and I did not succeed in finding that sketch, but I succeeded in finding our sort of pandemic family hobby, which was watching SNL. So, you know, months pass and I thought to myself, um, someone should write a romantic comedy screenplay about this real phenomenon where, you know, Pete Davidson, like, um, uh, you know, Colin Jost and Scarlett Johansson, you know, also met on the show and are now married. Emma Stone met her SNL writer husband. Um, and, uh, you know, and I thought, oh, that would be funny, you know, if if a, a woman writes, like the premise would be a woman writes a sketch saying this would never happen and da, da, da. And then a few more months passed and I thought, oh, Maybe that screenplay that someone should write should be a novel and maybe that someone should be me. Wonderful. I am happy to hear that. That was the inspiration because this book was such a delight to read. It was buzzy and like sparkling. I don't know how else to describe it. And just a true pleasure to read both about these characters that for some reason in romantic comedies, you kind of know what's going to happen. And yet you still maintain that suspense of like, are, are these two characters going to be able to work out and, and be together? But I also really enjoyed all of the sort of behind the scenes industry stuff from Sally's work on the show, the night owls in the book, that's sort of the Saturday night live show. And so I'm wondering what that process was like incorporating some of those pieces of, um, you know, how they do that sketch show. Did you do a lot of research into like Saturday Night Live writers and cast and stuff to sort of craft Sally's world? Um, yes, I definitely did. So, I mean, one, thank you, because it, I, I really, my goal with this book above all was I wanted to write a book that was like fun and delightful. I mean, that was, um, uh, you know, sort of my highest priority. Like I wanted it, I wanted it to be kind of an escape for me while I was working. Um, and then I, I wanted it to eventually when it made its way into the world also be like a pleasurable escape for, for readers and be something that you can, you can read before bed and like not have bad dreams and not keep yourself up feeling agitated, which I mean, I, I, I also, of course, I always have to say, I'm so glad that like more serious books exist. And I'm so glad that there are like reporters and journalists writing about injustices and like serious problems facing us. And sometimes I cannot read those before bed. So, um, but yes, I did a ton of research and it was a joy. Like it was, I mean, I, I definitely, I would listen to comedians interviewing each other on podcasts, which it happens that we live in the golden age of comedians interviewing each other on podcasts, whether it's like Mike Birbiglia's working it out or 
um, WTF with Mark Marin, or there's Fly on the Wall with the you know long ago SNL cast members Dana Carvey um, and David Spade interviewing other people like hosts on the show and writers from the show. Conan O'Brien, obviously. Uh, so there was that. I read memoirs by current and former cast members. I watched, there are these like sort of um, almost like teeny tiny documentaries that SNL itself makes to say like, this is how the makeup department works. And this is how we build the sets. And those are amazing. There's a documentary that James Franco made that's a very sort of low budget, but informative you know, kind of window into how the week long process works. Oh, and there's also there's an incredible uh, oral history called Live from New York that wait, I'm looking. It's like on my shelf above my desk. It's by the editors are James Andrew Miller and Tom Shales. And it's been updated a few times over the years since it was originally published. That's definitely reflected your research sort of in the way that you've crafted this world of the night owls. I'm wondering, though, for the characters uh, that we see in the book, we have Sally and Noah, um, given the inspiration for this, are they sort of based on in whole or in part on real people? Or is it just sort of an amalgamation of a lot of different things? Um, I would say, no, they are not based on real people. And they're a little bit of an amalgamation. Like, I do think that um, Noah's pop music like sort of very commercial, very romantic, depending on your perspective, kind of kind of cheesy or kind of like lovely and beautiful. His music is, you know, inspired by some of the music that I unironically <laughs> listen to, especially while I'm like driving in my car in Minnesota. Um, but I would say that their personalities are very much their own. Absolutely, though. Those characters are so distinct that I was curious if there were like, you know, bits or pieces inspired by other people. I'm wondering for the process of writing this book, what that was like. You said that you started sort of that SNL uh, family hobby during the pandemic. And when did you actually start putting these words on the page for romantic comedy? So I started the book in the summer of 2021. And to be honest, I had started a different book. So my my last novel, Rodham, was published in the spring of 2020, you know, at the height of the shutdown. And people would say to me, what are you going to write next? And I would say, I want to write something short and fun. And I started another book and worked on it for more than six months and had the realization that it was not short and also not fun. <laughs> and so I set it aside and I was, you know, sort of drifting a little bit. And I definitely think, I'm enough of a writer that I'm like, I feel like I'm just like a worse version of myself when I'm not writing. Like I have some energy that's like a little bit like, like needs, needs to come out through my writing or it gets channeled. I don't know, like in sort of grouchiness. So anyway, so I, it was summer 2021 when I started, like I almost, I mean, again, as I told you, I thought like someone should write a screenplay. And I almost thought to myself, like, am I allowed to write a novel with such a sort of purely fun premise? And then I think I thought, well, why wouldn't I be? Uh, and it did seem kind of doubly fun. Like, I get to write about SNL and I get to write about falling in love. Like, what what is a more delicious combination? <laughs> Absolutely. I think this book was, it was so fun. It definitely felt like a nice 
escape into something that you were witnessing these two people, you know, falling in love and also enjoying all of these really interesting and unique dynamics about, you know, this late night show, it seems incredibly specific to that job. And so something that not many people have insight into, it did feel like a fun peek behind the curtain of late night television, of writing and all of those things uh, that I think like for me personally, as someone that's not in this entertainment industry at all, is always really fascinating to see kind of that peek behind the curtain of writers and things like that. So there is an interesting part of the story that does take place during the COVID-19 pandemic and sort of peak uh, during the shutdown. What was it like writing part of the story, you know, before that, and then having a big chunk of the story set, um, you know, in 2020? Um, well, you know, as I said before, like I wanted to write an essentially fun escapist book and I didn't want to let COVID take it over. But at the same time, um, you know, if you are a writer who writes fiction that's more realistic than not and you're setting something during or after 2020, you have to acknowledge COVID in some way, or like you have to kind of convey that you're depicting a parallel universe where COVID didn't happen. Um, And I I think I felt like, you know, obviously the past few years have been so challenging and there's like the challenge of COVID. And then probably most people have had other challenges on top of COVID or during COVID or, you know, there's just like, it's like, like life has been extra hard for a lot of people. Um, And I do think that I felt like it was to some degree an act of optimism to show the characters like, you know, like uh, the pandemic separated us so much, but kind of to show people coming together and getting through it and that they have, they end up, you know, uh, I'm not, I'm not sure how much to give away of the plot, but like they have this, this week of getting to know each other while putting on a show And then maybe there's chemistry, maybe there's an attraction, but things kind of go off the rails during an after-party conversation. And then they reconnect two years later because one of them sends the other an email during the shutdown, kind of being like, how are you? I've I've always kind of kept thinking about you, Um, which I do think is like actually a very romantic act to, to kind of say like, I went about leading my life for the last two years, but... I, I thought a lot about our interactions and our conversations. Yeah. And I think that it works really nicely in this story because the pandemic, especially 2020 was certainly a year in which a lot of things changed. And I think a lot of, you had a lot of time on your hands to think about the things that were important. And I can certainly see that if Sally was in the back of Noah's mind, he would reach out and and try to see if there was anything still there. Yeah, well, and not only because, I mean, what you're saying is exactly right, that it's like, you know, all of our lives slowed down. And especially if you're this huge international pop star who's just like very busy touring, very busy kind of attending to your celebrity obligations. And then suddenly for the first time in close to 20 years, you're like trapped by yourself in your, in your 
big fancy LA house. And, you know, he does, he does have some people who work for him, who he does interact with still, but, you know, like sort of housekeeper type, um, a, a, a couple, like a caretaker and housekeeper type couple, but, um, but he's, he's more isolated than he's ever been. And, you know, Noah is very sweet all along, even before he was isolated, he wanted to find a, a meaningful you know, relationship and partnership. And once he's isolated, like he really, really wants it. Right. It absolutely sort of reprioritized a lot of things for people when you are given almost nothing to do, you know, when all of these other things are sort of taken away, all stuck in our house. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So to go a little bit back to that, the whole premise, I mean, surrounding that Danny horse rule, that idea that these male comedy writers would be dating these women that are so seemingly like above, you know, out of their league, they're stunning, they're talented, you know, actresses or models and things like that, that it wouldn't happen in reverse. A lot of what happens with Sally is that she seems to be getting in the way of her own happiness or her own opportunities. And so why do you think it is that so many of us act like Sally? Like she was so relatable, like that we get in our own way. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I I do think that that having significant insecurities about like how attractive you are, are you attractive to a person that you're attracted to? I think that's very common. And I also think, I think it doesn't, it can, it can remain inside a person, even as that person gets older and is competent in other areas. So maybe you feel like, okay, I'm good at my job. I have stable friendships you know, like I have, I have a good relationship with my family or my neighbors, or I'm part of my community, but you sort of are reduced to like your most insecure 13 year old self around, around someone you like, and you think, oh my God, like, I don't know, like when he sees me up close, does he, does he think that like, I'm, I'm weird or like, you know, like, is my skin bad? Or like, did I say something that was like really, you know, just kind of like (laughs) foolish and embarrassing. And, and so I, I mean, like if a person, if there's a person in real life, who's like not capable of feeling any level of insecurity ever, that, (laughs) that person is, is to me, that's like a, a robot. Like I, I think like feeling nervous about at least something and maybe it's not romance or attractiveness. Maybe it's like somebody is actually really insecure about like being a parent or, you know, I, I don't know, like, I, like really wants to run a marathon, but, but like, feels like, oh my gosh, I've been a horrible athlete my whole life. But it's like, if you can't feel any insecurity about anything, you are like, not, not a person in my opinion. <laughs> Yeah, it's very relatable that, you know, we, our insecurities can be the biggest obstacle, especially if we're uncapable, like incapable of believing that it's not an issue to the other person. So I definitely saw that a lot with Sally, but so many of her insecurities and even Noah's insecurities were so relatable. And it was just really sweet to see their, you know, correspondence and how everything unfolds in the book. Yeah. Well, I also think it's, I mean, another thing about Sally, I think that she has these sort of almost like bodily preoccupations. 
that, and I think like in the pop cultural depiction of romance, it's almost like the toilet barely exists. <laughs> like, and so I, th- I think it makes people feel weird. Like, you know, am I the only person who like has ever had to like poop on a date or something like that? Like, I don't know how far down this path you, you want to go on this podcast, but, but I do feel like there's like, there's just kind of stuff that like people don't often acknowledge that is part of life and then it makes people feel individually weird that it's not acknowledged no absolutely and I think that that's a great point that you mentioned in the book like Sally and the story very much portray a lot of those real concerns or obstacles or things that are absolutely not addressed normally in you know romantic comedy films books because you sort of don't touch on the like nitty gritty of life, you know, like yeah. going to the bathroom yeah. or anything yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. So, like you know, people wake up and start making out and it's like, doesn't either of them have kind of bad breath? <laughs> right. Like <laughs> none of those, right. None of those like actual logistical things are portrayed. And I think that that does make it all that more maybe embarrassing or just like you're unaware um, when the, you're put into those situations in real life, because it's the complete opposite of how it's portrayed. Yeah, I, I agree completely. And my like my extreme example of this, I feel like in film and other mediums, like when women are in labor, uh, they're, they're always screaming and it's always terrible. And it's like, have you have, no one's ever had an epidural on television? <laughs> Um, and so just like as a, you know, a stark or like the water always breaks yeah, yeah. and that's not necessarily true to life. And so it's yeah. only your only experience, your only, you know, frame of reference is something that is not particularly accurate. I yeah. think we need more examples that are true to life. Yeah, I agree completely. And it's, it is funny. I think I have this realization. I taught Um, I was like a part-time high school teacher 20 years ago, like teaching writing and English. And I kind of had this realization with my students where I thought like, if, if there's something that you're directly unfamiliar with, then your frame of reference does tend to be movies. So you're absolutely right that like with childbirth, like it's like, we all know that exact like screaming, sweating, swearing, and, and yeah, there's, there are many different versions of like every human experience and that's one, but there are a lot of others. Absolutely. Now I'm wondering if there is a favorite sketch that you included in the book from the night owls. I don't know if that's too much of a deep cut or a spoiler, but I, I have one sketch in particular that I thought was really funny. And I'm wondering if you had a favorite from any of the ones in the book. Well, I guess to give, to give some context, um, I mean, I'm definitely not a comedian and not a comedy writer. And I don't, I think that I like, you know, said to myself, like, I want there to be humor in this book. It's not, it's more romantic than comedic or just more like a story, but I also, I think I go through life often finding life absurd and thinking to myself, that should be an SNL sketch. So basically I would write down every time I thought that should be an SNL sketch. I would write it down and make note of it for a few months. I think there's one where Sally and two cast members who are her close friends 
are brainstorming about the the Google searches that dogs would do. And I think I have a soft spot for that one, which actually my own family members helped me brainstorm that. <laughs> that was absolutely hilarious. Um as a as a you know bit of banter where the suggestions just get out more and more outlandish, but so accurate in the context of a dog's Google searches. Yeah. Well, it's funny too, because I, again, like my family is one of many families who in October, 2020, we got a pandemic dog. We're totally obsessed with her. So it's like that sketch. Like I, I've actually joked to my kids. I've kind of been like, it's a family business. <laughs> you need to help me with this. And then I did, um, you know, given my kids ages, I did make some maybe like R-rated additions that that we in our family brainstorming were not, were not included, but that was like a very fun one to do. Yeah. And because Google searches, I feel like are so personal as well. Oh yeah. So <laughs> revealing. Oh my yeah. God. Totally. Yeah. Who among us would, would want to have all of our Google searches like revealed to the world? Right. You need your go-to person who will delete your Google ah. searches to reach should anything happen to you. Ah. Uh, if you could imagine uh, the horror of people reading those aloud. Um, I think that's why it makes it extra funny. Yeah. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each week I interview at least two traditionally published authors on my podcast, Thoughts from a Page. We talk spoiler-free about their books, so you can listen whether you have read the book or not. And then we delve into things that you most likely won't hear about anywhere else. The importance of the cover design, why they included various aspects of the story, personal details about both the books and the author's lives, and so much more. You can find the podcast on every major platform and learn more about it on my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. Thanks so much for checking it out. So for this book, Romantic Comedy, was the title always going to be Romantic Comedy or when did that sort of come into play? Well, you know, as I said, like, because I thought someone should write a romantic comedy screenplay. So, so... I did always think of it in those terms. I considered some alternate titles. I considered the Danny Horst rule, which is the name that, you know, Sally gives to the sketch about men can date up, but, but women never can. And then also Sally mentions that she is the same age as the night owls, the show that's a stand in for SNL that they both were born in 1981 and so I thought of also calling it something like the 36th season or the 38th season or something like that, that could be, you know, like the season of her life and the season of the show. And then I was having dinner with two writer friends. This was probably in like fall 2021. Um, and I think I said, this, this is the novel I'm writing. This is the basic premise of it. And I'm considering these titles. And when I said romantic comedy, one of my friends said, inject it into my veins. <laughs> and I thought, okay, like, here's my focus group. I know what title I'm going to use. I love that because I actually had the same reaction when I saw the description of this book for the first time, because I think 
as a reaction to everything that's happened the last few years, I've really gravitated towards these types of stories that are fun and delightful and have, you know, people falling in love um, as an, a means of escape from some of the, you know, very real and very serious things that have been happening the last few years. So I had the same reaction when I saw that this was called romantic comedy and it was a romantic comedy with SNL inspiration and the writing uh, is something that is so again, sparkly, you write such wonderful banter and I'm wondering how, like, how do you do that? It's just so good. It's just like effervescent almost in every sentence is a delight to read oh oh my god this is so nice to hear I mean so it's funny because some of the dialogue that that you know the goal is to be effervescent and you know delightful and charming some of it I have to say at the risk of ruining it is very labored over like it'll I'll be like write it and think like oh this did not turn out the way I wanted it to and then I'll like write it again and think the same thing and then you know the fifth time I'll be like okay this is good enough and then sometimes it kind of comes out exactly as as I imagined it so it's it's like trial and error and finding my way and that's just for me that's what it is to write a book is like I mean it's a little this is sort of a strange comparison but it's a little bit like getting dressed in the morning or like let's say maybe it's like um, uh, getting dressed for the, you know, when, if you have some event to go to and like sometimes you put something on and you're like, perfect, this is great. And then sometimes you have to change your outfit seven times to get it right. And it's it's just sort of feeling your way. But I definitely am interested in people's ways of talking and verbal patterns and you know, sometimes there'll be some expression that I'll hear a bunch of people use all at once. And I'll think like, huh, what are the origins of that? And why, why are people using that now? It's so it's kind of, it's just kind of like anthropologically interesting to me. Yeah. I love that. And you mentioned this a little bit and just in sort of setting up the character of Sally, but she's in her mid to late thirties throughout this book. And Noah, I believe is a little bit older than she is. And I'm wondering if that was just for consistency of like how long the show had been on, that was sort of the timing or if there was intent in writing about characters that were in their thirties and forties um, falling in love. So I'm 47. And I, I also will say, actually I'm like Sally, like SNL and I were both born in 1975. I'm like about six weeks older than, than SNL. I, I, do, I think getting older is interesting. And I think that, having just like more life experiences and more perspective on the experiences you've had. I think that's, that's like rich and cool. And, and I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'll read like any book or any topic if it's kind of well executed. Um, But I, I think all things being equal, I like reading about characters who are maybe closer to my my age which is 47 or older just because or like the fact that you know I chose to make Sally she had a quote-unquote starter marriage in her early 20s and it just I felt like that that sort of um maybe disrupted the narrative a little bit the kind of maybe cliched narrative of like she desperately wants love to complete her. And I think she sort of feels like, oh, well, I had some 
version of love and it actually wasn't right for me. And maybe I am better on my own. Maybe I'm not better on my own, but I, I think that she doesn't see marriage as like the ultimate goal or destination in her life. And, and that was interesting to me. That was more interesting than someone who does see that. Absolutely. And I think I really enjoyed it. I'm in my thirties. And so I, again, gravitate towards reading about characters that are sort of similar in age to me, even though like you, I will read, you know, things that are an, a, a range of ages. But what I really enjoyed about this is that it was also very reflective of sort of all of the different stages that people could be at, you know, at these various ages. I think we often see things kind of linearly, like Mm. her, her end goal should be marriage or like this career. And you get a lot of these really wonderful characters, you know, from Sally and Noah, and then also some of the castmates and friends where they're all prioritizing different things. And all of that is totally okay. Yeah. I mean, that's, and that definitely does reflect my belief that there are a lot of ways to have a life. Like, I do not feel like there, there's only one way and like everyone should marry and everyone should have children and people should do all this stuff in, in this order. I, I feel like, you know, I think people have to find the kind of life structure that works for them. Absolutely. And then this cast of characters is definitely reflective of all of those different avenues and choices. And I loved seeing that sort of diversity. And again, the cast, the cast of the show, they're so entertaining as well. And so that was a delight to have all of those interactions throughout the story as the central, you know, romance, will they, won't they between Sally and Noah takes place. I have um, a question I like to ask authors that is entirely selfishly motivated. I am really into the cover art and sort of Ah. that comes to be on books and particularly how things may diverge between the U.S. and U.K. editions of certain books. And yours in particular, the U.S. cover is very fun and pink and red and lovely. And the U.K. cover of the book has very cool looking woman in a convertible car. And so I'm curious what that design process was like for both of those editions in sort of the terms of the cover art. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's interesting. Cause some of my books have had the same cover for us and UK and this one definitely doesn't, although I do like both covers. So I think that in the U S I think that if you had asked me, like there's, there's, a beagle who has like a little subplot. And I think I probably would have thought like, oh, it's, it would be fun to have a little beagle on the, <laughs> which I, I'm not sure. Like if, if either of my publishers said you get to unilaterally decide on your cover, I'm not sure that would be in anyone's best interest, including mine or the books. But, but anyway, I think I would have been like, oh, a cute beagle. Um, and I think my publisher Random House was pretty clear, I think, that they felt like a text-based cover would be the way to go. And so there were a few, and there was actually the the covers, the colors of, you know, as you said, they're sort of like pink and red and um, ended up being very bright. There was originally a more muted version of this, and then they just kept like turning, turning it up a little bit. Um, and I, I think that 
like it ended up in a really great fun bright place that pops that matches the sort of fun tone of the book um it's it's funny too because there's there's a few like stars and lines and whatever and and again almost like as with effervescent dialogue sometimes the work behind that is very labored that I had all these back and forths where I was like some of those lines look to me like cat whiskers can you like de-cat whisker them or like could, could there be a star in this place and not that place and um and then meanwhile my British publisher it just one day said to me, okay, here's the image. What do you think? And it, as you said, it's like a woman driving a car. And there is a, uh, it's, she happens to be a rather glamorous looking woman. There is a, a, you know, stretch in the book where Sally, who's not so glamorous as she'd be the first to tell you, goes on a long drive. So it's like sort of a nod to that. Um, but they, they were sort of like, here it is. What do you think? And I thought like, great. I mean, I think it's one of the interesting parts of being a writer is the the life that your book has after you've written it including what people conceive of as the cover art and so I don't think again that I would have come up with I'm not a designer I'm not like a super visual person I don't think I would have come up with either of these images but I really like both of them I love that. And I do think it's so interesting to see the different ways that people take the content of the book and come up with the things like marketing the cover and um, both feel very specific to those individual markets. So that certainly makes sense as someone, I love both the U S and UK editions of a lot of things. So I usually do a check to see which one I like better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you like and one better of this, of romantic comedy? No, and this one is, this was actually an instance where I really like both. Just, yeah. They're they're very different, but I really liked both. And so as a little bit of a book collector, I have both on pre-order. Oh, that's so, <laughs> so funny. Bless you. Bless you. Oh, yeah. I'm, so I'm very much looking forward to, um, you know, looking at both on my shelf because I think each cover uh, is quite unique, but still sort of captures the essence of the story. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So a few other questions. This is your first book out sort of post a lot of the pandemic. We're still kind of in that awkward space, but where you are um, touring, I believe for this book um, in both the U S and the UK, are you looking forward to touring, you know, and what's that been like since your last book came out in May of 2020? Um, I am looking forward to touring. I do feel some confusion about, about how it all works. Um, and I've spoken to some of my writer friends and, you know, like some of them say, Oh, I, when I'm kind of on stage or when I'm speaking, I don't have a mask on, but then I do put a mask on when people go through the signing line or like some people don't do signing lines. And then I think some people kind of handle it exactly as they would have handled it in 2018. So I, I, I do honestly feel some confusion, but I, I feel, you know, like lucky to be able to go out and and meet readers and there's there's actually this sort of like sweetness in interacting with readers that it's not for me it's not like when I'm on stage speaking but it's actually like often at an event somebody will come up to me and say something 
kind of weird or interesting. Like one time a woman who I would guess was like about 75, um, I did an event in Milwaukee for my book Eligible, which is like a retelling of Pride and Prejudice, a modern retelling. And she had a pin that said, I heart Darcy. And I like complimented her on it so enthusiastically that she gave it to me. Or like another time I, I did an event at a library in Philadelphia and these four women came up to me who turned out to be sisters who always buy one copy of my book. And then they each read it in sequence. And they had this like ancient you know, falling apart copy of my first novel prep. And so there's like these fun little encounters. Sometimes like it might be somebody comes up and tells me a little tidbit about Laura Bush because my my book American Wife is like loosely inspired by Laura Bush. And I didn't really have that experience with Rodham because of when it was published. Like on the one hand, I don't I don't shed any tears for myself in terms of like my pandemic publication like I I feel for first-time writers and I think that that was probably very hard and disappointing to you know have worked on this this book have it be your first book want to share it with your friends and family and with strangers and not be able to kind of go out physically and not promote it because you know I'm sure it sort of hurt the book's like sales life, which is not everything, but it's also not nothing. So I don't, I don't like feel particularly bad for myself at all, but I did miss the, the kind of little quirky interactions where someone tells me something interesting or surprising or funny. That's my favorite part of, of readings. Absolutely. And I love that the, I love that as a reader, I love the opportunity to interact, you know, with authors and talk about these things that are so special to us, these stories that sort of make you feel. um, And so I'm glad to see that you'll be on the road and I hope you have a wonderful book tour for this book. Thank you. Now I have a question that you may or may not be able to answer. Romantic comedy is not yet out yet not out yet. And I'm going to ask you if there's anything that you're currently working on that you can talk about. (laughs) Um, I'm trying to write a short story that I've been working on since 2021. It's about to celebrate its second, its second birthday of incompleteness. Um, But I mean, the truth is I haven't even touched that for easily six weeks. So no, I'm like reading more than I'm writing. That's a great segue. I'm curious what you've been reading recently that you've loved. There's anything that's really stood out to you. So I actually read a book that's coming out in June, 2023, a first novel called Everything's Fine by, it's, I think it's Cecilia Rabbis, maybe R-A-B-E-S-S. And it's about um, a conservative white guy and a more progressive Black woman who are college classmates, and they're not friends, but they know each other, and then they both end up working at Goldman Sachs and become, to their own surprise, become extremely close, and it is fantastic. It's so good. I think it's going to be like a, a huge, very buzzy book, and it definitely deserves to be, so I I loved that. Um, I'm trying to think. I'm like trying to figure out what I should kind of take with me on on tour I just got of all things I got um a copy of um you know the the California congresswoman Katie Porter who's almost exactly my age has written a memoir it's something like 
politics is messier than my minivan. I'm not sure if that's the exact title, but I, for, for Rodham, I read a ton of memoirs by, well, maybe four or six or something by female senators. And so th and that's like definitely in my political woman wheelhouse. Yeah. I'm curious then yeah, what you're going to bring with you on tour, whether that's like books or do you like stockpile like episodes of something or, or what you, what do you use to keep entertained sort of in between all the yeah. All different tour stops. I mean, I definitely, so I'll, I'll kind of go for a few days and then come home. So of course I'm the kind of person who has the impulse to take like three books with me on like a four day trip, which is delusional. Like I'm not an insanely fast reader. So I, I usually will take like one or two books and then I tend to fly Delta, which thank goodness has those TV screens on many planes. And I, I actually, um, I just watched the romantic comedy Ticket to Paradise, the George Clooney, Julia Roberts movie. Have you seen that? I have not seen that, but it's been on my like queue to watch for a while now. It was a total pleasure. Like it was perfect plane watching. Like it's definitely kind of you know sparkly and good dialogue and they're charming and I like the fact that I I it's funny I'm actually not even totally sure how old they are but I think they're definitely in their 50s and George Clooney is maybe maybe even crossed the the you know 60 line but I, I loved the fact that that they were sort of older romantic comedy stars I mean of course they're both ridiculously beautiful but and then I started watching um also on a plane I, I i hadn't seen four weddings and a funeral i mean god only knows it's been like over 20 years and it was interesting to watch that too and to see like young young baby hugh grant yeah it's such a classic yeah. have you seen the hulu adaptation of that where it's a mini series no have you it's it's fantastic. Really? Mm -hmm. really? It's so good. It really? came out, I think 2019, huh. I want to say, and it's 10 episodes on Hulu and it is so good. Really? How mm -hmm. much does it deviate from the original? I think the basic premise is there. Um, it just, in terms of all the different weddings and things like that, yeah. but it's like a, the friend group and all the sort of relationships that they have with each other and with other people. And it's just so, it was so well done in my oh, opinion. Good. I, that's I, I'll, fantastic. I'll rewatch it. I like once a year. <laughs> really? Wow. That's yeah. That's high praise. It's just like that. It gives you that good, like romantic comedy feeling where it's yeah. just, you know, it just makes you happy to see all of these things come together. And yeah, there's some cheeky like cameos um, in this one. Andy McDowell is in a couple of the episodes. Um, is it Dylan McDermott is a main character uh, oh, in this fun. in this fun. adaptation? So would maybe maybe make good plane viewing. Yeah, <laughs> that, absolutely. <laughs> I know. Well, it is so funny because I, even on the plane, there's another movie that I will decline to name. But I was like, this is a well made movie it's intelligent it is such a downer and I was like why am I watching this and then then I switched and started watching four weddings and a funeral well I appreciate your contributions to this resurgence of the rom-com you know we want to see all of these things in books and and media because 
there's certainly people clamoring for it, ourselves included. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, you. I, I'm sure you've heard people say, like, you have to write, write the book that you want to read. Absolutely. Is there anything that you would want readers to take away from romantic comedy? I mean, a few early readers have said to me, oh, like it restores my own faith in in romance or in finding a partner. And I, I think that's very sweet. Like, I think I think that it is for most people, it is hard to find, um, you know, someone that you feel like very close to and very excited about. But I I also do think that like there are many good people out there. And so I don't know. I, I hope people I hope people who want to fall in love keep falling in love. That's perfect. And so just to wrap us up, where can our listeners find you online? You have a website or lots of social media presence. Um, I have, I do have a website, curtisittenfeld.com. I'm, I'm on Twitter. I mean, these are sort of strange days on Twitter, but I am on Twitter for now. I'm at C Sittenfeld. And then I'm also on Facebook. So those are my, I, I like, yeah, it's all, it's, it's, it's so, so social media is so confusing, but that's where I am for now. Wonderful. It is very confusing. Um, but if you're interested in following Curtis, be sure to check out the website and those social media channels. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today about romantic comedy. I cannot wait for other readers to have this book in their hands on April 4th. Thank you so much. This was super fun. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode on overdrive.com and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen Podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Emma Dwyer and Joe Skelly and presented by Overdrive. To learn more, visit professionalbooknerds.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.